I'd like to look at Ephesians as well, because this will be our uh, verse for this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 15. <clears throat> he says this, Paul says this, a final word. Notice these words, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand. You're going to see this word stand used numerous times. You can stand firm against all the strategies, all the schemes of the devil. If we are not fighting against flesh and blood, he said it's not a physical war. He's talking about a spiritual battle that he's emphasizing. He says it's not a flesh and blood enemy, but against evil rulers and the authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world. It's light versus darkness, good versus evil, he's saying. He says, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, put on every piece. Every piece is important. He says, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to, here's uh, this, this idea, to resist the enemy in the time of evil, to resist him, to overcome him. And then after the battle, notice what will happen. You will still be standing firm. We're going to notice that word again, standing. And he says once again, he says, after all of that, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth to overcome the lies of the enemy. He says, put on the belt of truth. And the body armor, that breastplate, he says, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. And this is what we'll be looking at here in a moment. And for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, from the gospel, so that you will be fully prepared. We are in a spiritual conflict. We are in a spiritual battle. Good versus evil. Light versus darkness. Lies versus truth. Our enemy is Satan himself, Lucifer, the most powerful created being. He fell from heaven. His pride caused him to fall. Now the Bible says that he desires to wreak havoc. The Bible tells us that we have an enemy. The Bible says, as Peter spoke, he says that your enemy is as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. As Jesus was here on earth, he said this. He says that the enemy has come. To, he says he, he desires to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This enemy is real. Paul was very clear that this enemy is powerful and he is at work. As we've been studying this series, we've been speaking about a number of areas that we need to be on guard about, we need to learn about. First of all, we need to know ourselves. When you go to battle, you need to know your own weaknesses and your own frailties. And I want to remind us to know yourself means this that you're no match, you are no match for the enemy. You say, well, that's discouraging. Thanks for, you know, thanks a lot, Pastor Joe. But it's the reality that in our own strength, we do not have the ability to come overcome the evil one. He is the most powerful created being that there is, more powerful than all the other angels. We know we think of Michael the archangel, but the Bible tells us as you study in the book of Jude that even Michael the archangel was no match for the enemy is no match for Satan, but yet he had to speak the name of Jesus Christ because that was where his authority and power came from. You and I have no ability to overcome the enemy in our own strength. We must know our adversary. 
We must know how he works. And this morning, we're going to study here in a few moments as we, we speak about the third piece of the armor. In just a moment, we're going to see a little bit more about how he works. But what we've studied so far is this, is as we've done our intelligence, if you will, on our enemy, as we've studied and we're, we want the intel on our enemy, what we realize is he disguises himself as an angel of light. That the enemy that we are at war with, he, he's able to camouflage himself, and he's very subtle, and he's very deceitful. And Paul says, beware of his schemes, beware of his tactics, and he's very good at what he does. He's had thousands and thousands of years of experience, and can I tell you something? Maybe we don't really comprehend this, and yes, he was, is a very powerful being, but understand this, I believe he gets better and better and better at what he does because he has more and more experience. Would you agree with that? Although he was powerful from the beginning, understand this, that he has more and more experience and he becomes better at what he does with that experience. The Bible tells us he's subtle, he's sneaky, he disguises himself as an angel of light. And we've also studied that he is a liar. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ said he's the father of all lies. Today we're going to see another area that he attacks in the life of a Christian and in our lives. We will see that in just a moment. But the third thing we must do is know our advantages. And as we look here in Ephesians 6, we see that we do have advantages. And number one, first and foremost, our greatest advantage is this, is that we have the Lord Jesus Christ on our side. Amen? And the Bible tells us, the scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we are on the winning side, but we are in a spiritual war. And understand this, towards the end of the series, we'll spend more time on this, but I want to just emphasize this. We are in a spiritual war, but realize that a war consists of many battles. And just when you think you've got the victory and won, may I remind you of something? Here comes another battle. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? And maybe there's been a battle and you've gone through a battle and you've seen the Lord give victory, but may I say this to you? The enemy does not stop and does not quit. And it seems like from every angle at different times, we find ourselves in spiritual conflict. And so the scripture is saying, know your advantages. You need to know yourself. You need to know your adversary, your enemy. But you also need to know the advantages that you have. And Paul goes into the, the book of Ephesians and he writes to this church of Ephesus. And he says, I want you to put on the whole armor of God. We studied the belt of truth. And as we look at, if they will, we'll put a picture up. If you want to look at this Roman soldier, remember Paul's in prison. And as he's in prison, well, in the moment, we'll look at his shoes but if we go to the upper body, we already looked at the belt of truth. We talked about the body armor, the body armor putting on that vest that police will wear a bulletproof vest to protect, to guard the heart. And so think about it like this. The first week we put on that belt of truth. The one word is truth. Truth to overcome the lies of the enemy. Last week, we looked at putting on the body armor. As Paul's sitting in prison, he's writing this letter, and he's trying to encourage believers and Christians. He sees a Roman soldier there, 
And he sees him as he's standing over him and guarding him. And he says, this is what the Christian life is like. We're in a spiritual conflict. And so he uses this Roman soldier as a parable, as an analogy of what it is to be, to put on the armor, what it means to be prepared for spiritual conflict. Just like a soldier gets prepared to go out to battle, you and I must every day make sure that we are putting on every piece of the armor. And so he says, put on that belt of truth because the enemy is going to be throwing lie after lie after lie. And you need to always have that belt of truth to overcome the lies of the enemy. Put on that vest. As an officer will put on a vest when he goes out to duty, understand that the enemy will be firing rounds at us. The enemy will be firing, as you'll be hearing next week, the fiery darts that will be shot at you and, and, and coming at you. And so he says, put on the breastplate. The one word of there is righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put it on to guard your heart, to protect your vitals, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but also right living. And as we said last week, it is the idea of this is that oftentimes what we don't realize is this, is it's not us necessarily holding on to sin. The most dangerous thing about sin is before long, sin is holding on to you. You need to guard your heart. This week, he says, put on the shoes of peace that comes from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, put on the shoes of peace. Getting ready to pack. You're going to pack clothes. You're going to pack different things. One thing you pack is shoes, right? By the way, we live in a culture where shoes are very fashionable, right? you got to have shoes for everything. I mean, if you really think about how many different types of shoes are out there, you've got your flip-flops. That's for the people down at Phoenix and Tucson. In the winter, you wear them, okay? You've got Crocs. You've got all kinds, right? You've got, if you go up on the mountain in the winter, you've got to have your boots. You have work boots. You have steel-toe boots, right? Some of you work jobs where there's heavy equipment. You wear those steel-toe boots, but you don't want to wear steel-toe boots up on the mountain when it's below freezing, right? And you don't want to have to hike in those things. You know you have, you have tennis shoes, and never, by the way, how did they ever get the name tennis shoe? And they get, somehow that just means everything, right? You know, tennis shoe. You bring your tennis shoes. Well, there's tennis shoes for tennis, but then there's running shoes, right? And then I don't know if you know this, but running shoes don't really work great in the gym. You got to have lifting shoes. You guys know this, right? Lifting shoes are flat, and you want a really flat shoe. And so sometimes people will wear like Converse. And vans, but now there's, there's lifting shoes, all kinds of different lifting shoes you can, you can use. Reebok has their own brands. I like the one, uh, the, the, the pair I have is called No Bull, all right? You know, No Bull, N-O and then B-U-L-L, No Bull. They're, they're a type of like workout shoe. You've got lifting shoes, you've got running shoes. People who climb, they have climbing shoes. You have, I think one of the most sacred pair of shoes on planet Earth is you have wrestling shoes, Amen? You have wrestling shoes, which is a lot like a boxer, has boxing shoes. There's so many types of shoes. Athletes wear shoes for different sports and different events. Shoes. 
He says, put on your shoes. It's interesting. It, you might think, oh, that's just, a, that, that's just a minor little detail in the armor, but it's so important. As we look at the Roman soldier, it says his feet need to be equipped. And I want you to look at these shoes for a moment because these shoes were meticulously made. The Roman soldier's shoe there with, with the leather obviously gave them ankle support and support. They, they, they were open so that their feet would breathe because they would march tens of miles a day. Sometimes they would wear wool socks underneath for comfort, but the shoe needed to be able to breathe because if their feet got sweaty and they would march and carrying typically a typical Roman soldier carried with their armor and with their gear at least between 70 and 75 pounds of armor that they were carrying. And so their shoes needed to be uh, able to be mobile. They were needed to be something that would, would stand up. And so if you look at these shoes, there's really two main purposes for the shoe. Number one was stability. And secondly, it was for their movability or mobility, to be able to move, to be able to move forward and to go. But what's interesting is if you look at these shoes, there's literally basically little metal pieces that they would pound in. They, it was three layers of leather, so they were made to be comfortable, but beyond that, they literally had built-in cleats. These shoes had cleats so that they could grip and they would have footing and understand that when they went into battle, that they could stand firm and stand strong and they could keep their ground. They needed to have stability when they're in the battle. If a soldier's slipping and falling, then he is going to... He's going he's gonna to die. If he's slipping and falling and he's on the ground because he has no stability and he has no firm footing, then the enemy is going to take advantage of him. And so the Roman soldiers actually took great care. They actually had people who would travel with them, and all their job was to do for the Roman army was they traveled with the Roman army, and what they did is they made sure that their shoes were always in good shape, and they would make shoes. And by the way, they were some of the first to actually have a left and a right foot. They were actually cut in, to the size of the soldier, and they had a right and a left foot. And so they really... And if you will, they were scientifically advanced and they were really looking at the importance of the shoe. And Paul sitting there in prison looks at the shoe and he says, you need to make sure that you put on every piece of the armor. You need to have your shoes of the peace of the gospel. These shoes that have these cleats, if you will, help them to have strong footing when they're in the battle. One of the most frustrating things is to not have good footing. Have you ever worn a, like a bad pair of shoes and you go out on a hike or something, and you get on gravel and you get on loot and you're slipping and you're falling, you know, and it's scary and it's sketchy and you're just constantly slipping? I remember when I played high school football, I had two different types of cleats. And I would always bring them with me. I had a pair of cleats that was, it was kind of almost more like a turf kind of shoe. But back then, we didn't have, way back then, you know, when we were on the ark and we played football back then. Way back then, there wasn't as many turf fields. We didn't really have much turf. But, but they would, some fields would be in really good shape and they'd cut it really short. And a lot of times, especially coming out of the summer, the ground was hard 
And honestly, it was like concrete. So you didn't, you want, didn't want that, the, the, those old school looking cleats where there's like three little pegs in the front and three little pegs in the back. You wanted more of almost like a turf shoe. And so I had my turf shoes, but then I I'll always throw in my bag that old school kind of like what you picture like from way back in the day when they were wearing the leather helmets, you know? You guys know what time I'm talking about? Okay, you can kind of picture them. But uh, to me, the more of the turf shoe was a lot more comfortable. You could cut and you could move, and I loved them. But I remember one time we, had, we were playing a game, and we were up in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. It had rained all day, and I'm thinking, there's, it was raining all day, like just cats and dogs. It was raining, 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 mud. There was literally puddles. The entire field was a puddle. And I thought, we're not, we're not, we're not playing this game. There's no way. But there was no lightning. It was just rain. And so they said the game will go on. It was freezing cold. It was freezing cold. I'll never forget this game. But I remember I put on the shoes that they always put on. And I remember getting out there in the first, the first quarter, first half. And the biggest problem was this, is all the mud and all that stuff was collecting inside these cleats. And now I felt like I had cinder blocks on, them, on my feet. And then you were slipping and sliding. And by the way, the other team was dealing with it. We were dealing with it. It was awful. You could, could not get your footing. And you were like slipping and sliding as you're trying. And, you know, you're kind of doing a little short, little choppy like this. You know, you're trying to. They'd hand me the ball and I would be slipping and sliding. And, you know, a guy would just grab you and go like this and throw you down. You could not keep your footing. I was so frustrated. It was so annoying. It was awful. And I remembered in my bag at halftime, I was like, oh, I brought my other cleats. Because what was happening is the cleats I had, the mud was just gathering inside. Couldn't keep my footing. At halftime, I went in and I changed my cleats. And by the way, I had a pretty good second half, I might add. But you don't want to hear about that. But it was so frustrating. Let me remind you of something. The devil wants to trip you The devil wants you to slip and to slide and to watch you fall. And Paul says, notice what he says, you need to have the shoes. Here's the word of peace. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, very briefly on on this point, but I want you to understand. He's saying that you need the shoes of the gospel, the shoes of peace. He says, put on the shoes of peace which comes from the good news, which comes from the gospel. And, and understand this, first and foremost, we must, have the, we must have peace with God. We must be at peace with God. And notice what Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right, we've been right, we've been made right, we've been made righteous in God's sight by faith. Notice what we have. Can you say the next words with me? We have peace what? With God. One of the first and most important things about this gospel, the good news, is that when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, we spoke of this last week, we have his righteousness. And that was what we were talking about, the righteousness of Christ. We have his righteousness. And it means that we're right in God's sight. And he says that we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now see the word right here, where we now what? Say it with me, stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing 
God's glory. He says, we can stand firm knowing that because of the gospel, because of the good news, that when you by faith accept the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, you can stand firm. He says, because understand, you are at peace with God. The Bible tells us in the earlier in the book of Romans and throughout the book of Romans that we were once enemies. We were once at enmity with God. We were once enemies of God. But because of the good news, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says you went from being an enemy to a friend of God. The Bible goes on to say, not only are we the friend of God, he says, but you were adopted into God's family. And when you're adopted into God's family, we become a child of the living God. Amen? And so understand, he says, in order to stand, in order to to stand firm and to stand your ground, you need to understand that positionally, you are positionally secure. That because of the good news, the gospel, we were once enemies of God, but now we become a child of God. But understand this, that when you become a a child of God, you become an enemy of Satan. And you are living behind enemy lines. And you and I are in a daily spiritual conflict and a spiritual battle with the enemy. And Satan wants to trip us up. In the book of Jude, verse 24, I won't put it up there, but I'll just mention this to you. It says, unto him who's able to keep you from falling. Speaking of Christ, he's able to keep you from stumbling and able to keep you from falling. And he says, the one who's able to present you faultless before the throne of God. Because of the good news, because of the gospel, the Bible tells us this, that we can have peace with God. And when we're at peace with God, understand here's the key because this is where the enemy is going to work in in your life and in my life. The Bible says that we can then Secondly, have the peace of God, the peace of God. Look at Philippians 4. I'm going to give you a few scripture, but then it's about to get real. You guys ready? So Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, don't worry. How many of you, that's easier to say, don't worry. Don't worry about it. How many of you have heard people say that? Don't worry about it. That's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Paul says, don't worry about what? That's pretty broad. Don't worry about anything. Instead, he says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Notice this next verse, powerful. Then you will experience God's peace, the peace of God. You see, first of all, you must, be, you must have peace with God. But once you're at peace with God, you can have, the Bible says, the peace of God, which exceeds anything we can understand. It's beyond our comprehension. His peace, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul says, don't worry about anything. He uses this word worry. Look with me in John 14. I want to see a few other words that the Bible uses. Jesus himself in John 14, in some of his last words to his disciples, before he goes to the cross, notice what he says. But when the Father sends the advocate, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, notice what he says. He will teach you everything. He will remind you of everything I have told you. 
I am leaving with you a gift. What's the gift? Listen what the gift is. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So notice the next word. Don't be troubled or what? Afraid. He says, don't be troubled or don't be afraid. He says, I'm going to give you my peace. Do you understand? We can be at peace with God, but once you're at peace with God, and positionally, you can, you can know that you are standing firm, that there's nothing that the enemy can do to take you out of the hand of God, that you have this security. You can stand firm because the enemy is constantly going to try to attack you. He is going to attack and try to rob you of your joy. He's going to try to rob you of peace. And the Bible says that we can have the peace of God. He says, in in every circumstance, you can have the peace of God. Notice, as we noticed here, we saw the word worry. He says, don't worry about anything, Paul says. The Lord here, the Lord Jesus himself, uses the word troubled and afraid. He says, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that you can have peace. Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, one of manifestation of the Spirit, we know is love, joy. What's the third one? Peace. You can have peace in the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of your storms. When the Spirit descended and came down upon the Lord Jesus, it came in the appearance of a dove. A dove is peaceful. A dove is gentle. You see, Satan wants to rob you and steal from you your peace. He wants you to go through life in turmoil, worry. He wants to bring chaos. He he will use whatever means necessary. Words like this, worry, anxiety, trouble. The word that Jesus used, fear. We would use terms like this, stress, chaos, confusion, disorder, You know, the Bible says that Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.7, he says, God, he he does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Can I tell you something? Anytime you have a moment, I'm not talking about like a healthy fear, like, oh, look, here comes the car, I better move, you know, like, okay, move. We're not talking about that kind of fear. There's healthy fears. A healthy fear, oh, look, I'm looking 3,000 feet down. Maybe I should move away from the edge. But oh no, people go to the Grand Canyon and they fall to their death because they're trying to get a selfie right on the edge. There have been many people, have you guys know this, right? It's fact. This is not a makeup fact. There have been many people that have died when they find their bodies and they find their phones. The last thing that they're doing is they're standing on the edge taking a selfie. And so there's a healthy fear. But the idea is this, that fear that grips us, that fear that hinders us, that fear that overcomes us, that is not of God. And we have to be reminded that Satan will use fear. He will use worry, anxiety, trouble in our lives. He will send disorder. He loves to send confusion and chaos. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. Notice this. In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, notice what it says. For God is not a God of disorder or a God of chaos, but of what? Say it with me. Peace. 
as in all the meetings of God's holy people. God is not a, a God of chaos, disorder. Fear, the type of fear that grips us, is not from God. You say, well, how does this help me? Boy, let me tell you, I think this helps us a lot. Because if immediately... At the moment, anxiety begins to take over us. At the moment that we allow fear to begin to grip us, at that moment, we have to quickly, quickly, quickly acknowledge, where is this coming from? Are you with me, church? And oftentimes, we do not. And so we're, we're carrying this weight, this anxiety, this stress. We have to very quickly understand that it is from the enemy and acknowledge that this is not of God. That this fear is not of God, this worry, this anxiety, this trouble, that this stress that I have in my life is not of God, it is of the enemy. In fact, as I said this earlier, I want to reemphasize this. The Bible tells us in Revelation 12, 12, that in the end of days that Satan knows, it literally says this, he knows his time is short, so he unleashes his fury. Can I tell you something? This is what I truly believe. Because now that I'm starting to get up in years, I've been pastoring now for 25 years of, of pastoring. I did two years of youth work, so 27 years of full-time ministry working with people. Can I tell you something? You know what I've noticed? That there is more and more stress than there's ever been. It's not the, and I get it, there was stress before. And some might say, well, Pastor Joe, there was stress before. No, we're dealing with more and more anxiety than we've ever dealt with before. Anxiety issues. Some of the best Christians I know, best people I, I mean, most, most wonderful people I know, we're seeing more and more issues of anxiety. I have people in my own family that have issues with anxiety. We see more and more depression. We see more and more of, of these things. And you say, well, well, you know, it, you know it, we've always had those things. Yes, we've always had those things. But can I remind you of something? We're in a fallen world. This world is getting worse and worse and worse, not better and better. Come on. And so because we're in a fallen world and we see that that sin brings death and the consequences of sin. Understand that we're in a fallen world. And because we're in a fallen world, we also realize that we have an enemy. And Satan has learned that, boy, I can cripple God's people. I, can, I can't have their soul. I can't have their soul. And I can't take them to hell. But, boy, I'm going to do my best to make sure that they have hell on earth. Are you with me, church? And so the enemy will rob you of your peace. He will, he will send storms into your life to, to take away your peace, to rob you of your joy. He will bring disorder. He will bring chaos. He will bring confusion and fear to try to grip you. At the beginning of our series, we were in the Gospels, and we saw the story of Jesus with his disciples. We won't turn there, but in Mark 4, it gives the account. It's also in the other Gospels as well. But it gives the account of when Jesus was with his disciples, and he said, we're going to cross over to the other side. He says, we need to get to the other side. And if you remember in this account, in the Gospels, Jesus was going over to uh, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in the land of the Gadareans. 
in the land of, of Gadara. And on the other side, there was a man who was possessed by thousands of demons. You kind of remember this story in the Bible? At the beginning of our series, we used this story as we realized the power that Satan has. And there was a man on the other side who's demon-possessed. The Bible says that his name was Legion. As he spoke, he says, our name is Legion, for we are many. And the Bible says there are at least 2,000 demons in this man. Jesus is with his disciples, and they're crossing over to the other side. And the Bible says that as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, a great storm comes upon the sea. Do you remember this? And the Bible says that, that the boat is being hit by the waves, and it's a, the, 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 the sailors, these professional men who've worked, and, and fishermen who've worked on the Sea of Galilee their entire lives, are terrified for their lives. The idea is this, is that this storm was worse than any storm they've ever experienced. And they're terrified. And do you guys remember where Jesus was? What was Jesus doing? He was, he's my wife sitting next door while I'm driving, sleeping. My, I told you, my wife is like that. We can... We will, I, we will be on an airplane. It doesn't even, we don't even taxi back. Like, they haven't even pushed us back to taxi. And she's over there sleeping. I'm like, how do you do it, woman? I can't do it. When I, listen, what's crazy is I can sleep while I'm driving. I fall asleep while I'm driving. And my wife hits me and keeps me awake. But when I get over into the passenger side, I can't sleep over there. How many of you have ever experienced this? That's the devil. That's what that is. And when I get over there, I want to, I try to get all comfortable, and I can't sleep. I can't sleep. But my wife, as soon as we start taxing, I mean, we'll just, as soon as we get anywhere, she's just out. She's asleep. That's Jesus. Jesus in this boat. The waves are crashing against it. Here's, here's the idea. Here's the point. Jesus was at complete peace. No anxiety, no stress, no worry. He's just, he was there sleeping. The Bible says the disciples wake him up and, and understand this in their fear and in this storm, they make some interesting statements. They even say to Jesus, don't you even care that we die? By the way, can I say this? That sometimes you and I are just like the disciples that when, the, when Satan throws the storms in our life, when we're in the midst of chaos, when we're in the midst of, 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 of this disorder in our lives, when we're under stress, when we're in fear, there are times we will even wonder, does God even care? By the way, that's from the enemy. Are you with me, church? When someone you love is diagnosed with cancer, and now their health is, is being attacked. Do you care, God? The storm is very clearly a storm that was from Satan. It's interesting because I studied a little more this week, and not just myself, but I read others, and one commentator said this, that in the gospel of Mark, in his recording, that when Jesus rebukes the storm and when he says, peace, be still, it literally means this, to be muzzled or to be gagged. The idea was this, is that he was literally speaking to Satan, be muzzled or be gagged, because Satan was using the storm to get to the disciples. Are you listening, church? And so it was a satanic attack to try to sink the boat before Jesus got to the other side because Satan knew, oh boy, 
There's a man over there that if Jesus comes, Jesus can deliver this man. And so it was a satanic attack. And he says to the storm, he says, be muzzled, be gagged. The idea is this, is he was rebuking Satan, rebuking him. Because remember, Satan is the prince and power of the air. And you and I are living behind enemy lines. And Satan is at work. You could look at the life of Job, and we will reference him again throughout the series. But one of the first things that Satan does to attack Job is he sends a storm, and in that storm, all of his children perish. That was from Satan. There were raids upon his possessions, and he was robbed and stripped of everything. He lost all of his finances. By the way, the enemy will also attack your finances. He will attack your finances. He went farther in his attack upon Job. He robbed him of his health. Do you understand what he tries to do? Is He will do whatever he can do to steal your peace. And so he used the storms. He will use health. He robbed Job of his health and stripped Job of his health. And I love what Job said. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord my God. He refused to curse God. Do you remember when Peter was in prison? I find this, this, I love the book of Acts. The Bible says that James was executed. He was executed and it says, that when it pleased the people, that they began to come after Peter. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that Peter was taken, he was in prison, and he's supposed to be executed the next day. Did you ever catch this? It says that the church of God prayed continuously. They were up all night praying for Peter. You know, this is, the, this is so crazy to me. When the church was up all night praying for Peter, Peter was sleeping in prison. He wasn't even up praying for himself. Now, that's what we call the peace of God that passes all understanding. Amen? Peter was at peace. He was in that prison cell, and in his mind and in his spirit, there's a whole other message to this, but the Lord Jesus Christ made him a promise that he would live to be upward in his upper years. But beyond that, Peter was at peace because he was in right standing with God. Amen? He was at peace with God. And because Peter was at peace with God, and he knew that the worst thing that could happen here on earth is if they were to snuff out his life, that he would be with the Lord for all eternity, he was at peace. And the church was up praying and praying for Peter and laboring in prayer over Peter and worried about Peter and they're praying. Peter's laying there asleep. In fact, he's so much asleep that, that the Lord opens up the prison doors, opens it up and sends an angel and the angel has to wake him up. He's like a teenager. He had to kick him a few times to get him up. 
And Peter gets kicked by the angel, and the angel get up, and, and he's like, what's going on? And he's really kind of like half asleep as he just walks right on out, and then he walks right over to the church in the book of Acts, and he starts knocking on the door, and they're like, no, no, it's not him, it's not him, it's, you know, it's, it, it can't be, it's probably a spirit, it's not him. We're praying for him to get out of prison. By the way, that's a lot how we pray, right, you know? And then when God answers it, we're shocked. But Peter was in prison asleep because he had this peace, the peace of God that, that transcends our, even our, our, our wildest imaginations that you can have the peace of God. Look what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3, in verse 16. This church was severely persecuted. Many of them gave their life. Many died a martyr's death. And here at the church at Thessalonica, listen to what he says. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you whose peace? His peace. Notice this. At all times, in every situation, the Lord be with you all. When you feel yourself gripped with worry, stress, anxiety, pause, just stop for a moment, immediately acknowledge who, who is bringing this into my life. Okay, church? Amen? Who, this is not of God. This is of the enemy. Acknowledge who it's from. And then, may I say this, as, Jew, as we look in the book of Jude, as Michael the archangel rebuked Satan in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to speak Christ over that. Amen? The power of the name of Jesus Christ. Speak Christ over that. And remind yourself. Remind yourself that you can have the peace of God. Remind yourself that you can stand firm. That you can have the peace of God in every circumstance. There have been times in my life where I've been low. I won't even go into one of the stories. I mean low. Like fetal position, like curled up in a ball, bad. My wife didn't even know what to say. We were kind of newly married, and we're only a year or so into our marriage, and she just came in, and she didn't know what to say. I mean, it was bad. I remember she just, she kind of patted me and said, I'm praying for you. And she left. Walked out of the room. It was bad. Every thought, every fear, every anxiety, all of these things, Satan was just throwing them at me. And I'll never forget, I remember sitting there Obviously, my wife was praying for me. She said, I'm praying for you. We'll get through this. She literally said, it's the enemy. He's trying to, you know, it was right after I graduated college. We moved to Oregon. It's a long story. But she did something very wise. She helped me acknowledge that it was of the enemy. You know, the only thing I could do to get myself out of that place, I, it wasn't me getting myself out, it was the Holy Spirit, was this. I had to remind myself, I, I, I sat there and I thought, okay, what do I know? Well, one, I know it's not of God, it's of the enemy. What else do I know? You know what brought me this tremendous peace is this. 
I know that I'm a child of the living God. And I know that I am held in his hand. And I know that I am loved by him. And I know that no matter what happens here on this earth, that I will be with him for all eternity. And I know that God desires to do a work in me and through me and that I cannot believe the lies of the enemy. And it was unbelievable in a matter of moments, in minutes, in less than an hour's time of just pondering and considering the things that God has done for me and the things that I know that God has promised me. I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit began to move in my heart, in my life, and it brought me out of that place that I was in. It was the peace of God, amen, that is beyond our comprehension. And then he says this, have that, your feet prepared with the gospel of peace. And I have about two minutes and I'm done. So understand this. We have the peace, and most importantly, we have the peace with God. We have the peace of God. These shoes give us the peace of God. And lastly, I just want to challenge you with this, is that once we have peace with God and we have the peace of God, then we should be instruments and vessels of peace. Amen? In the Middle East, if you go to the Middle East, if you in Israel, and you meet those Jewish people, they will say shalom, which means peace. I've been to the Middle East, and if you are with Muslims in the Islamic culture, they don't say hi, they don't say hello, they'll say salam, which means peace. Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The children of God. Look with me in Romans 12, 18, it says this. He says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. He goes on in that chapter, we don't have time, but he says, don't let evil overcome you. Overcome evil with good. He says, don't try to take revenge. He says, if your enemy's thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. But he says this, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Romans 10, 15, he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel of the good news. Remember, the shoes have two purposes. The shoes here that he's speaking of, stability, but also mobility. Stability and movability. That you and I, if we have the peace of God that comes from being at peace with God, then we have the responsibility to take the good news, amen, to this lost and dying world. To share the good news so that they too can be at peace with God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let me ask you this question. Do you bring peace in your home? Are you an instrument of peace? Are you an instrument of peace in your marriage, in your family? in your relationships, at work? Do you bring peace to the office, to your class, to school, to the situations and circumstances you're in? Do you bring that peace along with you, or are you that person where everyone goes, oh, no, here they come? 
Seriously, do you bring peace or do you bring chaos and discord and animosity? The Bible tells us this as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are to be peacemakers. Amen. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You see, if we have the peace, if we are at peace with God, we'll have the peace of God. And if we have the peace of God, then we will be able to take the gospel, the good news. Amen. With mobility. And that is our calling. That is what we are here to do as a church. We are not just here to hold the fort till the Lord comes back. Oh, no. May I say this? We should be charging the very gates of hell with our feet stood firm. Amen. Standing side by side, taking on the adversary, the enemy, bringing the good news of the gospel of peace to a lost and dying world. Let's stand and pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word.